0: There was a season of my life where I enjoyed running. But the longer I ran, the more I would notice that my neck and my upper back they would start to slowly but surely get so tight that I could not turn my left my head to look left. It just would get stuck. And so it became too too hard, too tight, too difficult to run, so I go to a physical therapist. I want to get back to running. What do I need to do? Right, we show up to a physical therapist or the like because whether it's normal activities or athletic activities or creative activities, we're trying to get back to something. But the body needs some help. How can I get back to running? How shall we return? Is the question we hear God's people asking God in that passage from Malachi. Quick background, Malachi was probably written around 400 BC uh, during this post-exilic period of Judaism and, 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 and some, if not many, of the people of God, had, had grown lukewarm in their faith. And so Malachi, which literally means messenger, Malachi speaks into the situation of complacency, and at this point in Malachi has the people stirred enough for them to ask, "How shall we return to you, God?" And just before they ask this question, uh, God has laid out some of the specifics that make clear that the body of God has not been functioning well. We we hear this, God is speaking to God's people right before the portion you heard Penny read. So I, I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, those who oppress the widow and fatherless, Those who deprive foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me. Notice the issues God sees among the people. There's cheating, there's lying, there's not just payment for the workers, just wages. There's no concern for the economic safety net or the the relational safety net. Those that don't have that, right? The widow, the orphan. The foreigners in their midst, the foreigners with whom they work alongside, they're they're not treated with the same kind of protection and and provision. These bullet points sound incredibly relevant. And the people, they hear this charge, they're they're becoming aware of the ways that God's body has been failing or not running in, in this kind of manner, and so the question is raised. How... How do we return? How do we get back to you and your way and your call? When I saw this physical therapist for the very first time about getting back to running, he did these various uh, range of motion tests with my body, and, and he, he watched how I, I walked and I, and I ran and, and, and I stood and all these things, and I expected him to say uh, things like, we might want to try some new shoes. We're going to work on your, your gait. Uh, or how your foot strikes, I mean, certainly all the pieces that are obviously involved in the running processes, since that's the thing that sort of ignites the problem. Instead, it was a bit surprising when he told me, look, you have had too many years hunched under backpacks, hunched over driving, and hunched over screens, If you want to run again, and you want to run well, and you want to run of some distance, we're going to have to work on your posture. And that will allow the rest of the body to work well. And so he gives me these bands so I can begin working on my back muscles. Start with the daily small faithful routines and rhythms and we'll get the whole body there. And I say, okay, okay. So how long do I need to do this? I said, Bobby, a lot of your normal life is seated in a car, in front of a desk, in front of a screen. So you may graduate from one resistance band to the next, but you, you need to do this every day. In some ways, God's response to how the people are to return is a bit surprising. One might think God would respond given the litany of issues. Start running in the right way. I mean, start telling the truth. Start paying just compensation. Put the concerns of the most vulnerable in front of your own concerns. Care for the foreigner like a citizen. You return to me in my way by doing that. It's not that God doesn't care for all those things. God absolutely does. But but listen to where God begins the conversation of returning to faithful motion. God declares, next line after being asked, how shall we return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You are robbing me of your tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. When God talks about coming back, he starts with money. It's perhaps no accident when we think about Jesus, he arrives on the scene and his very first word is repent, turn around, come back. And then he talks actually a good bit about money in those three years. A quick historical background to Malachi here. Uh, in that time, there were, there were three ties, get 10% giving, collected in the time. There was the annual tithe that was given, sort of the first fruits of your crops and the best of your livestock, that was given to the priests and the Levites, the religious folks. That's what sustained them. That's how they lived. <laughs> there was another annual tithe for an annual feast. And then there was a tithe collected about every three years so that there was a pool of funds to care for the poor, the orphans, the widows. So, so the actual sort of income percentage given for tithes was, was really closer to 23%. Than, than 10% in that time. Bottom line, the idea of tithing is built into the DNA of, of God's law. There's this ongoing sort of regular exercise that's fundamental to how well they run. And so there it is, money. Of all things, to start this conversation about returning. Now, we can, before we consider why that might be, I do think some of us are wondering... Does this concept hold any water in our day? I mean, that's fine and good. God, through the Old Testament prophets, spoke about tithing, and, and, but Jesus never said a word about this and, and, or any amount, quite frankly, that we are to give. In fact, having some sort of 10% standard is, is rather dangerously legalistic. You know, those who make it are righteous. Those who don't are unrighteous. It sort of sets up a works righteousness thing that's absolutely antithetical to the grace of Jesus Christ. That we respond freely to. 100% true. It's also worth noting that Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, never revokes the tithe either. Actually, what, what he does say when he talks about money are things like go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves. Treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You cannot serve God and money. You may recall he once observed a widow. She put two copper coins in the, in the offering plate, and he commends her because she has given everything she had. One Christian theologian puts the, the practical implications of Jesus' teachings as they relate to the tithe this way. He says, maybe tithing is is not a ceiling for giving, but a floor. The base from which one grows into a joy of giving in in grateful response to God's grace. He even goes on to say, what if tithing is actually one of God's great gifts to us? What if tithing isn't opposed to grace, but it's actually a, a vehicle of grace? Now, we'll talk a little more practically about that just ahead of the offertory today's service because all of our situations are different and complex and nuanced. I don't want to assume anything about how God is calling any one of us. For now, I want to return to that question. Why? Why does God start with tithing, money, of all things? And we're talking about returning to a lot of those things that are pretty urgent in our day and time, too. And I think we get a good hint when we hear God's accusation against the people of God for not tithing, will you, a mere mortal, rob God? Yet you rob me. You're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. Which is to say, the people's financial resources are not actually their financial resources. It's God's. It's, it's all God's. And it's sort of one thing to, to, to say that. It's another thing to let that truth take Very tangible, actual form. One of the gifts of tithing, one of the gifts actually of offering our financial resources to God and the things of God's kingdom. One of the gifts is that in making that offering, it declares our recognition that that everything we have is actually God's. It's all a gift. Our first breath. Everything we have, everything we are given, it gift, 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 gift. And that recognition that it's grace all the way down, that's the foundation for all the rest of it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Start with this most fundamental exercise of generosity, recognizing it's all a gift. And it's amazing to hear what God says will happen when a a people lean in with this kind of Gratitude to the grace they've known. As we begin to do this exercise of generosity, it does truly have a way of affecting the whole body. The message translation puts it this way in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 12. As the people bring the tithe into God's storehouse, quote, you'll experience then what it's like to be a country of grace. There is something about opening our financial resources, this space that is often for many of us fraught with anxiety, fraught with a desire to find time and again some measure of security, a space that is sometimes fraught with this odd mix of, of shame and pride and, 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 and fear. There is something about offering that in gratitude to God and in showing forth a, a measure of renewed trust to God that has a way of affecting the whole body, from tithe to a country of grace. That's the trajectory Malachi paints. Or, Or as Jesus puts it, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What you do with your money is the story of your heart, right? And so by implication, open your treasure unto the things of God in God's kingdom and see if the whole heart, the whole essence of what you're about, the whole way that you move, see if it isn't all lifted into a new grace. Work the back muscles. And see if the run isn't also freed. And running Running, it should be noted, is definitely God's goal for us. Do do you remember the the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Runs away, takes all the inheritance, spends it on dissolute living out in the faraway land, shamed the family name, made himself a foreigner to the family. And do you remember what the father does when when he sees that prodigal son still a far way off? He runs. It is a full-on motion of grace. Undeserved, abounding love becomes then tangibly manifest when the father embraces the son, gives the son a new robe, his ring, sandals, kills the fatted calf to throw a celebration party. Grace, from first to last, is God's motion towards us in Christ Jesus. In fact, do you know how God God's prophecy in the book of Malachi begins in Malachi chapter one to these people who begin who are so far from God. The very first thing that God says in the book of Malachi before we get into all the tough stuff and and, and the call to return and all the rest. I have loved you. Grace is God's motion towards us. And for us. And we are made to reflect God's image in the world, which is to say we are made to run too. I imagine many arrive here today feeling weighed down at some level. Weighed by the world's events. Weighed by health concerns. Weighed by shame. Weighed by a past Weighed by a failing relationship or a failing endeavor. Weighed by whatever these past 18 months have meant. And some of us have perhaps been weighed down so long that we've just gotten used to the posture. And what if the grace of God arrives to us this day through the Father's run? I have loved you. And then what if we find not out of obligation, but out of a renewed sense of gratitude and a renewed sense of trust, that we do want to pick up this specific invitation and start growing in grace and returning to form. Because what this world needs is is not a church hunched over with, with sort of whatever energy we can muster to meet whatever the next need or hurt or ailing is. The world needs a church fit for the inevitable and ongoing marathon, a church fit to run towards those facing a disastrous hurricane, a church fit for those who are now refugees, a church fit to go towards those who cannot find a living wage, a church fit to run towards those broken by loss or by lies or by their own failings, the world needs a church giving grace, trusting grace, most fundamentally running on grace. I have loved you. Shall we grow into a country of grace? Amen.